All right. Uh, thanks for listening to uh, this repeat of Kincaid and Breckenridge here on Newstalk770.com. Uh, today we had some interesting phone calls from a couple of people on the refugee issue. One guy concerned about the screening process and another phone call about someone who actually emigrated to Canada after fleeing Czechoslovakia in the 60s. Yeah, also some really interesting conversation uh, about uh, gender and toys and boys' toys and girls' toys and uh, whether those uh, kinds of classifications uh, even make sense anymore. Uh, so we certainly had some uh, rousing conversation around that. And uh, if you missed the show, enjoy. If, uh, and if you didn't miss the show, be sure to uh, join us again tomorrow at 930. No, you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I have to be all right, 974-8255 is our telephone number here in Kincaid and Breckenridge. We're going to talk more about refugees and uh, one company stepping up to say, you know what, we'll, we'll help get refugees to Canada. And that's obviously a big part of this equation. How are we going to get all of these uh, refugees to Canada? There are a lot of other questions, too. Uh, how are we going to screen these refugees? And, you know, maybe to the point, where are we going to screen these refugees? That's one element of the story that's emerged that, that I think should concern us. Uh, the suggestion that maybe some of these refugees would be screened here. Because uh, let's say we've, we've brought someone here from Syria. Uh, just in, in the haste of getting them here, we screen them, we, we run the background checks, and, and then we realize, oh, wait a sec, this guy's problematic. Um, what do we do with them then? Obviously, we can't deport people to Syria. That's already been established. So then what? Yeah, they're kind of caught in that middle ground, right? Can we send you back to where we got you? Because that country would say, not if you think he's a terrorist. Um, hi, Don. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing very well. Thanks for taking my call. Yes. Before I ask a question, I did want to suggest everybody should take a look on a Google on the impact of the German healthcare system from the current migrant crisis. You can draw your own conclusions on what's going on in the hospitals there because it's, it's not a good picture. But I would ask you, sirs, what type of security check are we kidding ourselves that we're doing? Passports have been sold or stolen. They have no, what do you think the state of birth certificates or criminal records are like in Afghanistan, Syria, or wherever else these people are coming from? You think they got a card that says their name on it? We have immigrants in Canada that the progressives tell us they can't vote or we make it hard on them to vote because they have to show as little as a letter with their name and address on it. So what are we going to check? Well, we do, we do, uh, well apparently we do fingerprint checks and, and biometric, checks. biometric. Okay, well, let me ask you what serious in Afghanistan state the biometric records are like. Well, yeah, okay, I, yeah, we certainly respect what you're saying, but I don't think that uh, uh, even if they had wonderful biometric uh, uh, databases uh, that we would be able to check them. Uh, I agree with yeah, you, so, so I ask you again, well, what okay. are we checking? Well, I'll tell you what we're checking. I mean, if we're doing biometric and fingerprint checking, we're, we're checking... We're not, you just said we're not. No, we are, I said. Yeah, Donna, I, I want to answer your question, Don. I agree, I'm okay, sorry. Yeah. Give, me, give me a chance here. Yeah. If we're doing biometric and fingerprint checking, we're checking them against uh, databases that our allies have, places like Interpol, Turkey, uh, the United Nations Human Rights. Uh, uh, Roger. Uh, yeah. There's a million people crossing the line. Okay, Don, I'm still trying to answer your question. Can you I agree, but you're not making any okay, sense Okay, so, so here's, far. here's Well, here's the point, Don. You're right. You're not going to be able to run, swipe a guy's card through, and it's going to go, bam, terrorist, turn him around. That's not going to happen. You're 100% you're correct. You're not going to get a name. Okay, well, that's a pretty, well, well, okay, but Don, hang on a second. What if that was someone traveling to Canada? How would it be any different? Well, you've come in. What do you, what do you mean, someone traveling to Canada? Somebody who's not, not a, a tourist. Somebody who's not a refugee. Someone buys a plane ticket. 
Lies to Toronto. Someone that's grown up in Brussels and has a birth certificate and a passport that's legitimate, not a name that he stole up a dead person on the road and sold his that sold his passport. Or maybe it was Damascus. There's a a bit of a difference there, uh, fellas. Is there? I think you are kidding yourself to think that you are going to get any legitimate information on nine. 99.99% 99.99% of okay. the people. Don, let, let me read this to you. This is from the Globe and Mail here today. And this is a story that, that still raises some red flags about our plan, uh, that, that maybe we might be cutting some corners. But but here's what it says. It says, Canada will primarily focus on families with children under the age of 18 who have been in Lebanon, Turkey, or Jordan since the beginning of the conflict in 2011. The first step in the Canadian plan is to select refugees registered with the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, then conduct checks against Interpol, Canadian Security and Immigration, as well as foreign allies watch list before issuing any permanent or temporary resident permits. Canadian, uh, I, hang on a sec. Canadian yeah, immigration and border agents who have been dispatched to the region, most of them in Beirut, will select the refugees and raise any red flags to the RCMP or Canada's spy agency for deeper screening. So, you know, so that seems this, to be an overview of what we plan to do. If we have the resources to speed things up, why do we not bring in the thousands of people that have been waiting for years that are well documented? Well, that's, and let's feed them up, and that'll bring these people up the chain as well. That seems to be what we're doing. Yeah, isn't that what you just said, Rob? That, that, that they're going to go into the refugee camps that were established at the start of the Civil War that uh, Bashar al-Assad waged on his people uh, to, to quell Arab Spring. And I, uh, sorry, are the only immigrants trying to get into Canada from Syria? Refugees. And no, they're not only no, from Syria. No, that's right. And they're not only from those refugee camps. There's refugees all over the no, world. But that, okay, no, but hang on a second. That's where, we're, that's where we're, we're taking them from. That's where this time we're taking. In the meantime, the guy that's waited for four years with all his paperwork, with a legitimate passport, and and okay, but that's immigration. Waiting. That's immation. It's separate. the same thing. Come no, on, it's you're not still in the country. Yes, it is. It's no, well, no, hang on a second. Are we taking a certain thousand people? It's immigration, or it's taking migrants or refugees. It's still. Okay, but it has no bearing on the numbers of immigrants we take. It's not as though we're saying that, okay, we're taking these refugees. That means we're going to take in fewer immigrants this year. Listen, it all comes out of the same pot, man, to pay for it. Don't tell me that if you fill your house up with Syrian refugees and skip the line that you're going to have room for Boris out of Serbia. Well, the co- the, the, there's going to be cost. Boris. Nobody says that this is cost neutral. They're, they're sure there's going to be a cost. Obviously, it's there's going to be a cost. Line. It's skipping the line, and you guys are dreaming. Well, skipping the line? Hang on. hang on, Don. I don't understand that. How is it skipping the line if Listen, somebody... No, no, Don. Friend. Don, I have a question for you, Don. Like, Go I, ahead. Uh, oh, man. Don, give me a second here, okay? Yeah, this is what you do to me sometimes, okay, too, when well I have to listen to you on the radio. <laughs> that, that, that's great, Don, but here's the problem, okay? You asked a question, and we're answering the question, and there are millions of Canadians who are very concerned about this, and they're asking the question. And then there are people who are prepared to give the answer to that question, but the reality is there are millions of Canadians who just don't want to hear it. Well, They're just I'm asking the Roger, question so that they can have their bias confirmed. Ridiculous. You've got, you've got millions. You can't retinal scan information. You can't fingerprint people. Don, you've got millions correct. of people who are in refugee camps in countries like Jordan, in countries like Lebanon. They have fled from Syria and Iraq to get to I these know, places. I know, Roger. That's where they're the going. That's where, they, that's where they're going to find these people. So these are people who are documented as refugees by the United Nations High Commission on Refugees and are saying, well, we have documented these people. We've categorized them. And you so far for the past couple of years, cross. they haven't blown up suicide vests in this here refugee camp. So why don't you start with the moms who have the kids and then we'll screen them. We'll figure out who these people are 
as best we can. If any red flags pop up, that's when your spy agencies start to get involved. Yeah, well, I don't think too many spy agencies, nor am I worried about the moms and the kids. And I think that's not what I'm going through. And I know you know that's not what I'm going through. I also know that you know that in Syria, all these people that are registered there... I would only bring up the song, what was it, Dreamer by... Uh, okay, well, they're not, they're not in Syria. Don, I don't know. We, we seem yeah. as though we're dancing in circles. I, I think I there's agree. a way for us to take in refugees. Uh, I think we, we need to slow it down and make sure we're doing this right. Uh, I think, Don, we gave you the, the overview of how we're going to go about doing this. I, I, I think, you know, just, just cut to the chase and say, don't take any refugees. You know, we, we sort of spin around and how are we doing this? Are we doing this right? How are we going to screen all these people? You don't want to take us any, us to take in any refugees. They just, just say that. But that, yeah. the notion, though, that, that refugees are, are line jumpers, right? We've taken in large numbers of refugees. There were the Hungarian refugees, the Vietnamese refugees. Yeah, did they get in quicker than, than immigrants? Sure they did. But that's why there's a clear distinction between refugees and immigrants. There, there's an urgency to dealing with refugees. That's what makes them refugees in, in the first place. Somebody just texted to say, we're both very patient. Good luck, or good job on the last call. Uh, I thought Don offered a lot to the conversation, to be honest with you. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I'm good. You? Good, thanks. we got to be quick with you. Sorry. Yeah, two quick points. First one is uh, these refugees have been around for as long as uh, there's been problems in Syria, so for four years, three or four years, and it was only until... That poor little boy washed up on the beach, which was a tragedy, that it actually became a problem. And so as a result, the liberals are trying to make political hay with it as much as they can to make themselves look good if if this problem's been going on. Secondly, the only other point I wanted to make is if anybody wants to do anything for these refugees, they should fight ISIS, get their country back so they can go back to their own homes. I'm sure they'd rather be in their own homes. Yeah, Jeff, let me me comment on that one because you make a good point, but I mean, if you get rid of ISIS, you still got al-Nusra and you still got Assad. And and you're right that the refugee uh, crisis uh, for for Syrians anyway uh, has been years long, but our battle against ISIS has not been years long. Keep in mind these people fled civil war first and foremost, and uh, uh, while some of them are fleeing ISIS, there's a lot of people that might be ISIS supporters or sympathizers or at least who think, hey, ISIS aren't the worst people in that country yeah, that are still running away. Was, sorry, the point I was trying to make was let's just let's clean it up over there. And okay. we have an obligation to. We, we have an obligation to. And, and for once in my life, if Trudeau pulls the jets and, and goes back to just training um, they should change their their slogan from Canada's back to Canada will stand back. I will honestly be ashamed to be called a, to be a Canadian if he does that. All right, Thanks we'll leave it time. at that, Jeff. Thanks very much for your time, sir. Um, yeah, I mean that kind of gets us into this question about uh, responsibility to, to protect as it pertains to the situation in Syria. What is that? Look, I mean, the fact is, we're, we're not going to take in all of the refugees. There's still going to be hundreds of thousands uh, who are in this part of the world, and and so there's the question. Yeah, what can we do in the meantime? Uh, to provide better accommodations, and, and maybe there's a, a plan at some point where these people could return home. That, that's going to have to be a part of any solution. We'll continue this conversation after 10 o'clock. 974-8255, if you want to be part of the show, we'd love to uh, to get you on. Uh, you can text us as well, 770-770. And like I said, we've got some open phone time coming up uh, for you at, at noon today. Denny has called in. We're going to get to Denny's phone call here in just a second. Uh, Denny says that uh, uh, he came to this country from uh, from somewhere else. All right, you can also text us, by the way, nine, or rather at 770-770. A lot of texts coming in on this, and we'll get to some of those. But let's uh, let's see what Denny has to say. Denny, go ahead. Yes, you guys. Uh, 
you know, I'm one of them from Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia, right? And uh, they flew us from Italy to Toronto, and uh, I was sponsored a Catholic church from Montreal, but we had to agree to pay the, the fare soon as we have a job, to pay 10 or $20 a month, whatever we can afford, till all fare was paid. It was $150 that time. Wow, what year was this, Denny? 1969. Okay, and and sir, can you give us some, some idea of what you were? You, you came as a refugee or as an immigrant? I came uh, immigrant. An immigrant, and why were you leaving Czechoslovakia? Well, because 68 the Russians invite Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So I di- I didn't agree with the system, and I escaped. You escaped to Italy, you said. Yeah, to Austria, to Italy. Wow, and what was that journey like? Can you tell us? Did you walk, or how did you get to Italy? Well, over the border, right? Like right. Uh, things were a little bit released that time, so you just run like was uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, uh, people who escaped that way. And you know, uh, through this refugee system, uh, everybody either had a passport or ID card or driving license with your picture on it, and they take it away from you. And they give you temporary passport, Italian passport. Uh-huh. And that's how I come, you know, over here. And anyway, we'll end up in Toronto, and from Toronto I took a train to Calgary. <laughs> when did you arrive in Calgary? Uh was uh, like November. Actually, last week was uh, 46 years oh, I'm here. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I went to elementary school uh, with a guy, and I played baseball with him, uh, whose parents also came over from uh, Czechoslovakia under uh, the same... Uh, uh, same circumstances. Yeah. Um, Denny, why did you settle in Calgary? And, and what, well, did, what did you do when you came here? What did you do for work? You want to know? <laughs> I was cleaning Highlander Hotel. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> from midnight till 5 o'clock morning. And from 9 o'clock I, uh, in morning, I was in school for English. They put us in a course for English because I didn't speak any English. Wow. And you were, you were housed, um, you, ha- you, you made housing arrangements through the church, did no, you? No. Manpower. Manpower set up things for us, like uh, a little, uh, whatever who could, t- took us. I was uh, living with a Polish lady. She has about five or six of us in, in her, in her uh, house. Wow. Now, yeah. D- Denny, did you say you had to pay back the, the yes, government? Yes, I pay $150, and I still have a receipt from <laughs> church. They thank me very much. and that's So the, you had to pay them back the cost of getting you here? Yes. Huh. Wow. Well, and, and so do you think that that should still apply today? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nothing is free for in this world, right? <laughs> well, that's true. And you know what? Refugees are expected to pay back. They they are given a loan. They're expected to get here under their own uh, under their own steam. And if uh, government uh, assists them, then they're expected to uh, pay the government back for them. Yeah, exactly. So you know, Denny, when you look at these news headlines and what's happening uh, uh, with the refugee crisis, uh, what are what are your thoughts on the matter? Well, I'm, it's hard to tell on, on radio here. I mean, I sometimes I agree and I disagree and all this and uh, whatever. I, you know, in my age, I kind of I don't care anymore. <laughs> I am retired now. Yeah. I still work part time a little bit, and uh, it, it's different world now. I I looking back and I said, well, thanks God. 
uh, where I am and what I am doing, and uh, I'm happy. And for future, I hope these young people, uh, uh, they will survive. I mean, uh, in, in Canada here, I hope the government will smarten up a little bit. And, uh, yeah. Okay. And, Danny, thank you so much for your story, sir. Much appreciated. Okay. All thanks. right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. They're a one-of-a-kind combo, and they're only here on News Talk 770. Roger and Rob, Kincaid and Breckenridge. News Talk 770, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Hey, welcome back. Kincaid and Breckenridge Show. And talk about kids for the next hour. I'm going to talk to you after 12 o'clock, some open phone time. You know, Rob, where Christmas is uh, drawing nigh, are your children reminding you of this? Uh, it's, it's known. It's known, right. certainly, yeah. Now, there are little girls who want Barbie dolls for Christmas, and there are little boys who want Barbie dolls for Christmas, and that's A-OK. It's 2015, that's what the Prime Minister told us. Nothing to worry about. Well, you know, there's like, there was this, uh, I don't know if you saw this picture that was going viral around Halloween on, on Facebook, and it was a picture of a, of a dad and his son who looked to be about two or three, uh, and and the boy wanted to be a princess for Christmas, right? Or for Halloween, rather. And 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 so the dad uh, said, "Yeah, sure, that's fine." And he posted a picture and said, "Look, this is uh, what my son wants to be. This is what he's interested in right now." And uh, and that's fine. There's there's nothing wrong with that. And and I think just the the fact that, that the dad was okay with this is why it resonated with so many people because there seems to be this notion that you got to uh, push your kid towards certain things. Your kid can't play with that or can't be into that because he's a boy or she's a girl and and vice versa and i, I it's funny because i think if if girls are playing with hot wheels or or something like that it's you know it's not seen as 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 taboo i guess than boys who play with with dolls but is is it anything to be uh, ashamed of or worried about? That's weird to me. And I'm really excited to talk to our guest, Dr. Christia Spears-Brown, in just a second. She's the Associate Professor of uh, Psychology at the University of Kentucky, authored a book called Parenting Beyond Pink and Blue. If we have boys playing with dolls, well, that's un- that's really uncomfortable. But for some reason, the girl's playing hockey or uh, the girl aspiring to be a NASCAR driver, right? Like, we got over that a couple decades ago, I think. So, so anyway, let's focus on the here and the now and this weird story that's developing that barbie is getting some credit for that they don't deserve now mattel makes a barbie doll and they made this limited edition doll with this uh fashion brand i've never heard of in my life before but it was a limited edition it went on sale november the 9th sold out hotcakes gangbusters people love it i don't know if it was collectors or fashionistas who are picking this thing up but it sold out within like a couple hours of going on sale so the Machino Barbie, is that, I'm not even like sure how you pronounce it, but apparently the kid does in the commercial. This five-year-old boy says Machino Barbie is so fierce, he says. Now, uh, Mattel quickly got credit for this, putting a boy in the commercial. How forward-thinking, how modern, how vogue. It turns out they don't actually deserve any of the credit. It's a faux commercial, and it's not put out by Mattel, but rather by the fashion line Machino. Machino I guess at this point in time, the two hosts on the talk show should reckon that it's Moschino and not Moschino. Okay. Moschino Barbie. She's the most Moschino Barbie ever. Totally hot, totally cool, totally Moschino Barbie. So fierce. That's the boy. Look at those shoes that fell. Her hair covered in gold Moschino. I love you, Moschino Barbie. She's the girl who 
Moschino Barbie doll. Fabulosity totally included. Okay, so... <laughs> now... The funniest thing about the commercial to me is that for all the people who are saying, hey, this is great, you know, way to break down gender norms and have a boy in the Barbie commercial, nobody was pointing out that Barbie, which seemed to be on this trajectory towards uh, women doing less stereotypically girly things like becoming president or becoming uh, uh, professional executives and stuff like that. Nobody seemed to care that McDonald or that uh, Barbie here rather went right back down into the trough of it's all about fashion and how many shoes you own. And being fabulosity and fierce. Well, it's ironic, isn't it? Barbie's often been seen as part of the problem when it comes to kids and toys and gender. And now here Barbie is uh, being celebrated as uh, breaking down those, those barriers. And now it's this, this positive. So as you're right, it's, it, Moschino's this company, it, it collaborated with Mattel to make this limited edition Barbie. It was very expensive and, and sold out, uh, pretty quickly. So is this just kind of a one-off, a one-time thing? Or, I mean, is it the start of something? Look, if Mattel, thinks it can sell more Barbies by doing this, they'll do it, right? Mm-hmm. It gets back to what we were talking about earlier, where altruism meets uh, you know, the, the bottom line. And if you can do both, then, then great. Now, my take on this is that this is a Barbie doll for adults, not for kids. This one, yeah, yeah. I think so. And it's uh, a collaboration with a guy named Jeremy Scott. Who, who apparently, I don't know who he is, but word is that he's kind of a dead ringer for this. This yeah, boy. and that's the point. He's the guy who made the commercial. He's the guy behind the Moschino brand. And he's the guy who said, we made this faux commercial. It, it's, it's a take on the 80s Barbie commercials, and it stars basically me. It stars the guy who played with Barbie dolls and went on to become a very famous designer. So there's a question here now. If somebody had ripped the Barbie doll out of Jeremy Scott's hands, would he have gone on to be a famous designer of a well-sought-after uh, fashion label that turned into this Moschino Barbie? Or would Jeremy Scott have had his childhood ruined and probably be pushing paper around a desk somewhere? I don't know. It is, it is funny in a way because, um, you know, if someone were just seeing the commercial, it's it's obviously not meant to be, you know, your typical five-year-old boy. The, the, the boy in the commercial is very uh, flamboyant. Yeah, he's acting flamboyant. He's, he's, he's dressed up to be uh, yeah. some sort of a caricature. Uh, this is Dr. Christy Spears-Brown, Associate Professor of Psychology, University of Kentucky, author of Parenting Beyond Pink and Blue. Uh, welcome, to have, uh, welcome to the program. Good to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. So uh, this is kind of part of, of a bigger storyline where we saw parents losing their minds when, like, Target, for example, took uh, the boy and girl labels off toys. And now we have this faux-mercial, but what it is is still a uh, uh, kind of... Uh, letting people know that, hey, there's boys who play with Barbie dolls. Um, are, are we slow to take up this message that labeling toys as being for boys or girls is kind of damaging in a way? I think we are slow to take this message up. I was, frankly, really excited when the Target, for example, a couple months ago stopped labeling it boys and girls toys, and I was really naively surprised at how upset parents were by that, as though kids would lose a sense of their gender without having it clearly labeled on the toy aisle. Um, And I think it does. It taps into something deeper, obviously, than just what kind of toys our kids are playing with. I think it taps into what people think their kids' gender identity will be, their kids' future sexual orientation, the differences between men and women. I think it taps into much stronger needs to have the world make sense to them. And I think that's partly where the controversy comes from. Well, and is there any reason to think that those things are connected? Not really. 
I mean, people do research on this, and there's not really any link between what toys kids play with or even really what interests they have, what their personality is when they're kids, and what their future gender identity or sexual orientation will be. Um, they're, you know, that's really driven by biology in really complex ways. And we know that there's lots and lots of toys that both boys and girls like. I don't know that it's always the fashion model Barbie, but um, we know that there's studies where they give kids a toy that they've never seen before. And you label it as a boy toy, and then the girls don't want to touch it, and the boys play with it and say it's interesting. You give kids the exact same toy, but you label it as something for girls, and then boys don't want to touch it, and they won't play with it at all. Girls say that they love it. So there's a lot of toys that both like. It's just the label seems to drive what they think they should play with and what they shouldn't play with. I've always found it bizarre that when, uh, like when I was a, when I was a little boy, I remember playing with the, you know, my neighbor across the street, uh, Richard, and we would play like army soldiers or we'd do these, you know, real mm-hmm. boy activities, right? But then if you get into a play situation like at Christmas time where, you know, you're with all the kids in the family, uh, you'll occasionally like just have to gravitate towards one or the other. Either the girls are going to be playing G.I. Joe or the boys are going to be playing dress up. And parents don't right. seem to have a problem with that. <laughs> it is. It's really inconsistent. I mean, what we see is that parents oftentimes ignore all of the times that their kids do the kind of not stereotypical play. Kids actually don't fit the stereotype a lot of the times, but parents really overlook that, and they always kind of just pay attention to the times that their girl plays with the dolls and the boys play rough and tumble, whereas if they really paid attention, there's lots of times boys play kind of quiet one-on-one play the way that girls often do, and a lot of times that girls are really rough and tumble and like to play war and like to play um, much more kinds of active play. It's just our brains seems to skip over all of those kind of contradictory examples and just focuses on the kind of stereotypical stuff we see. What role do, do the toy manufacturers and, and the toy retailers play in all of this? We mentioned Target. It seems to me that uh, if you've got a toy uh, and you're only selling it to girls, you're, you're missing out on half the market, essentially. But, right. But companies get accused, though, of, of pigeonholing these toys and you know separating boys from girls. That Maybe they're the ones responsible for this. Right. I I think clearly they do it because it makes business sense for them. But we do know that kids really pay attention to that marketing. So toy companies really do have, I think, a strong responsibility because how they market it does drive what kids like to play and what they think they should play. And then if you think about the fact that all toys are educational, right? So kids learn when they're playing from Barbie and they learn when they're playing from G.I. Joe. Just because it's not labeled as an educational toy, they're learning skills from that. And so when you're only, you know, kind of pushing kids towards one half of the toy store, you're really preventing them from learning a lot of other skills that they could have learned if they were on the other side of the toy store, too. Yeah, I think a really good example of that is the the chemistry set that's uh, marketed to boys, right? Exactly. Okay. Yes. I mean, I think that's a good – yeah, boys um, have fun with chemistry, and then girls are really into kind of fashion-y types of toys. Um, And you could argue probably it's more beneficial to develop STEM skills than it is to, you know, design a purse. Well, now hang on a second here. Don't tell Ralph Lauren that. (laughs) Because <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Um, okay, but so I'll save my monkey question for a little bit later on. But then, does it behoove these uh, these marketing companies or toy manufacturers uh, to maybe take the gender typing off of their toys and open up their their marketplace? Put differently, I'd rather sell a Barbie doll to a hundred percent of the kids than just fifty percent of them. Right, and so I think that's what we're kind of entering into this world, where I think 
toy companies are going to have to are probably going to start thinking about it. I mean, this has really not been an issue for the past 30 years. We've seen toys get more and more gendered. Toys that used to not be segregated by gender now often are. Um, my favorite kind of worst example is the little people's uh, school bus that kind of every kid in the past 50 years yeah, yeah. has had. Yeah. Um, it's been it, – it's yellow because, you know, school buses are yellow. Uh, but now they make a pink version, right? And so clearly it's they're even marketing that just to girls, even though really it's a gender-neutral type of a toy. So the past 30 years we've seen toys get more and more gender-segregated. And only in the past, you know, year or two are we starting to really see attention to the fact that maybe we've gone too far. Um, and really maybe kids want to play with all kinds of toys. So I think it will be a little bit of a natural experiment to see how this play out in the marketplace and do parents, once they kind of get over their initial discomfort with not having things labeled for them clearly, whether toy companies will really see a benefit at their profit margins. But what about that, that monkey test, though, where they took, you know, boy toys uh, or like a truck and a doll and they put them in front of monkeys and they found that boy monkeys gravitate to the truck, girl monkeys gravitate to the doll? You know, I get that sometimes. I always think my best argument is, yeah, but monkeys also throw poop. You know, like <laughs> we're not monkeys. The kids are much more complex. Um, and that it's really one study that shows that, and there's lots of other studies with actual kids with fully developed frontal lobes and fully developed human brains that don't find differences. Um, so, for example, with babies, we see babies up to about a year and a half old, so when they start to become toddlers, you see no difference in who likes um, dolls between boys and girls. So boys like dolls just as much as girls do until they start to hit preschool. And then they learn who dolls are for, and that's when you see their interests drop away. You see other studies with very young children where girls show more interest in things like Lincoln Logs and Legos um, and cars like in a garage than they do in dolls. So when you look at actual people, even really, really early, you see really not many differences between what boys gravitate to and what girls gravitate to. But now where you see the change is around age two and three, when they start going to preschool and start learning about what their gender is, that's when you see boys want to do boy stuff and girls want to do girl stuff. But it seems to be more driven by wanting to kind of play by the rules for their team. Um, boys want to be good boys and girls want to be good girls. That seems to drive more of it than anything kind of biological. It was interesting. I mean, um, you know, I have a son and a daughter. So, you know, I've seen this, and I don't think we've we pushed anything on, on either of our kids. But, I mean, both kids, for example, really into Lego. They loved Lego, mm-hmm. um, which just seems like a real simple, gender-neutral toy. It's right. not for boys or girls. And Lego took a lot of heat for bringing out the, the Lego Friends, which was essentially right. seen as Lego for girls. And I was one of the people who thought, well, that's, that seems kind of pointless. I don't understand why Lego's doing this. But then I was kind of surprised that my daughter wanted that. You know, that, that she said, you know, I'd like that, that particular Lego friend set for Christmas. Yeah, I mean, kids really, and I will say, I mean, kind of what you said there kind of briefly, I think is a much bigger and important point, too, is that it doesn't seem to be what parents push their kids to, right? Kids do seem to do kind of all of this on their own. And girls do seem to like the Lego friends, but girls are really drawn towards things that look like they're designed for them. Um, And Lego's Friends is clearly designed for girls. It has girl dolls in there. The boxes are pink and purple. And so it's just a broader trend of kids really gravitating to what they think they're supposed to play with because of their gender. And it's really 
completely independent of what parents are doing. So parents can often be quite frustrated saying, I'm trying to provide all of these toys for both my you know, son and daughter, but my, they seem to kind of gravitate towards the girly stuff or the boyish stuff because they really are trying to pay attention to the world and figure out, I'm a girl, I know it, it's an important part of who I am. Everyone, you know, they, mentions it and treats me as a girl, I better pay attention to what are the rules here. And we know kids really do that driving all on their own, really independent of what parents are kind of trying to do. Okay, so then basically these roles, <laughs> you always know when someone says basically, they're going to oversimplify something, but these, these roles, these gender roles that the kids are kind of gravitating towards or, or grappling with are defined for them by, by marketers, and so they're just sort of trying to figure out how they fit into the messaging that they're getting? Exactly. I think that's exactly it. And so parents can do their best, but most of the time parents aren't actively talking about these things. So, you know, what I talk to parents a lot about is you have to really point this out to kids because they're being impacted by marketing just like all of us are, right? Every time we buy a name brand of something, we're influenced by marketing. Um, and so part of it is for parents is to point out, wow, it seems like these Legos, that they were perfectly good when you could all play with them. I'm wondering why they felt the need to just sell these to girls and why they felt the need to think that only girls wanted to play with the, you know, um, beauty shop Lego set. So one thing that's helpful is to help kids kind of recognize the marketing, right? It's like right. it's kind of like the old tobacco ways that we, the way they get kids to not smoke is to point out how tobacco companies market to kids, um, help them be just more savvy consumers. That's, I think, what we have to do for kids for gender, too, is point out that these toy companies are marketing to their gender and that we think that they can play with whatever and we just have to kind of ignore some of those marketing messages. It seems like there's different perceptions though when it comes to boys and girls because there's, you know, the concept yes. of the tomboy and there's not really the the equivalent <laughs> right. for, for boys who might, you know, be inclined to say, like, as we're talking about here, play with Barbies, for example. So it does there seem to be that double standard where if, you know, a girl's interested in what's perceived to be boy toys, that, you know, that's fine and that's normal and she's kind of tomboyish, whereas, you know, boy wants to play with Barbies. It's, oh, my God, what's, what's wrong with this child? No, there's a lot. There's definitely a lot of double standards involved. Um, girls have a lot more flexibility in what they can play with and how they can act, the sports they can play, in the same way that women have some more flexibility when it comes to the jobs that they pursue, um, whereas boys are much more restricted. So boys, for example, when they hit middle school, if they do anything at all mildly feminine, so if a boy wants to take a ballet class or do cheerleading, for example, his rates of being teased and bullied at school skyrocket. Um, we know that little kids, you know, frequently tell boys, boys don't cry, be tough, man up. Um, and we see the same things, though, with adult men. So adult men that want to be stay-at-home dads, for example, get much less support than moms who want to stay at home. Whereas women who want to go into more um, kind of high-powered industry types of kind of jobs have a lot more support um, just by society. You know, whereas men that want to teach at a preschool, for example, would be questioned and thought that's kind of unusual for a man to want to work with small children. So for as many kind of disparities that women get, right, we still make a lot less money than men do. There's still a lot of inequities for gender. Women do get, though, more flexibility than men do, and that really starts in infancy. Right. Well, that's all the time we have, Christia. Thank you so much for your, uh, for your time today. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And uh, go Wildcats, right? 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. Thanks. Right. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye. Dr. Christia Spears-Brown, Associate Professor of Psychology at the University of Kentucky, author of Parenting Beyond Pink and Blue. I don't remember playing with toys that would be called girl toys. Maybe I did, and, and my mom or dad would phone to correct me. Um, to me, I was mostly like baseball obsessed. I mean, what do we consider to be girl toys, though? I mean, Barbie's an obvious one, or anything you know that's kind of a doll. But what about, say, like a... An easy bake oven. Those are fun. Oh, yeah. That made my sister had one of those. And I like the cake. I always yeah. try to sneak in and make the cake. I don't know. Is that a, is that a girl toy? Tell I mean, Emerald so that's the Lagasse. thing, you know. Tell I, the I boss think... of cakes that. That's right. Cake exactly. So I don't know. I mean, these, these kitchen-y kind of things, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, so I think that, that sort of underscores the point of you don't have to classify something as a girl toy or a boy toy. It's just, it's a toy. And, you know, if your kid wants to pretend like he or she is cooking in the kitchen, well, okay, what, what's the problem? Yeah, that's that's the thing that I don't really get about it. And for, for all of these toys or interests that kids can have, if you can find a really famous guy doing that or girl doing that and it's against type, then I think that's a really good reason to just, like, not fill your kid with insecurity because wants to play with certain toys. I, there was a kid in my grade three class. He loved playing with My Little Pony, and he got, like, ridiculed for it. And I remember at the time, like, not ridiculing him, not being one of the, the kids in the class who was making fun of him because I know what that felt like, and it sucked. But uh, thinking to myself, you know, really, at the end of the day, that's just a horse, right? And it's like the Care Bear, right? Like the whole Care Bears thing, which was like, oh, that's for girls. I'm like, I don't know, man. Bears are pretty bad. Bears I remember, you know, as kid, we all had we all had Cabbage Patch kids, right? And they made the boy Cabbage Patch and girl Cabbage Patch. And the boy one came with like hockey jerseys and hockey accessories. It's the same thing now. And you see the kids going into the Build-A-Bear stores and you get yeah. the Marvel superhero Build-A-Bears or the princess Build-A-Bears. So I, I guess it's still the same toy, essentially. I had a pound puppy. Do you remember that? Pound yeah, Puppy was like, yeah. that was my favorite toy that I had. And uh, I don't remember them ever marketing that as for boys or for girls. And I think that they would have run into some serious like focus group issues and probably some boardroom conversations where it's like, how are we going to tell girls that these dogs aren't for them? <laughs> they all want to become veterinarians. <laughs>